Jesus, sometimes I can almost sense the heaviness of pressure mounting and the ominous presence of darkness around me. I recognize my enemy as at work again. Whether he's trying to discourage me to get sidetracked, to fall into temptation, to give up, or to take my eyes off you, he's always hanging around. I need your supernatural power, Lord, to stand strong and not surrender. Physical force won't help because you've said the weapons of our warfare are different from those in this world. As believers, ours are powerful and can demolish strongholds and lies. These supernatural weapons originate from you. By your precious name and blood, Jesus, I'm asking you to confuse Satan and cancel his attempts to shut me and my influence down. Help me not to become discouraged or to give in when heavy times of testing come. When I'm tired and weak, you are strong, Lord, and you are my only source of help. I cannot fight without you. Teach me how to pray and to trust you to pull down those strongholds that keep me or others helpless. Guard me from isolation that leaves me exposed and vulnerable. I believe you destroyed the power of my enemy by your death and resurrection. But like a bad penny, my enemy keeps showing up, whispering lies, twisting truth, and attempting to inflate my selfish pride. He never gives up. I am declaring the devil and his demons liars today, Lord. With the power of your precious name and blood, I agree with your word and the truth that you are in me and that you are greater than my enemy who wants to rule the world. You, your word, and prayer, Lord, are my secret weapons. I belong to you, and that fills me with a powerful God confidence. I want to constantly dress in the spiritual armor you give me. Help me use it to defend others from Satan's fiery darts as well. No one and nothing can snatch me away from your hand. Strengthen my faith, Lord. Forgive my sins so that I may be clean in your righteousness. Make me brave so I can stand and fight the spiritual battles in my life and in our world. Give me your wisdom and discernment so I won't be caught off guard. Together, Lord, we'll win. Because in truth, you already have. In Jesus' powerful name, before which every knee shall bow. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. How you doing this summer? Like, so-so, good, hanging in there. I mean, we're right there in the middle of it, sort of the heat of the summer kind of deal. I don't know about you, but uh, I'm, I'm ready for the heat break a little bit. A little bit. But, uh, you know, the interesting thing for me uh, sometimes is that no matter what season of the year it is, there's always the chance, there's always the chance that there's some big breakthroughs, and I've had one of those in one area recently, but there's also the chance that there's going to be not some heat oppression, but there's going to be some adversary oppression. And that spiritual warfare prayer that you just watched and listened to, again, we've used that before, but uh, I went back to that this week because I'm like, that's where I'm at. It's not the heat oppression of the middle of the summer, but there's some type of, I don't know, battle that you're in. Any of you ever have some weird dreams that like reoccur over every now and then, and you're like, why do I have that kind of dream? Well, one of my dreams is that I can't move. Have you ever had that dream? Where I'm like slowly trying to get forward, and I'm like, 
why am I not able to like just run? But there's some type of sluggishness to it. I don't know what's behind that. Maybe there's some oppression behind it. Maybe it's just me being weird, something I ate the night before. I don't know. But it's one of those things where you're wanting to break through into something new and see, but you're slowly trying to get there, and there just is this opposition. Well, today we're going to be talking about some of that realm because there is opposition that's pushing back against you and I in our life. And it's not just the adversary. It's other kinds of things as well. And so the prayer that Jesus has been teaching his disciples to pray, a model prayer, is going to, again today, help us to have a more effective prayer life. Again, Jesus was only asked by his disciples to teach them one thing, at least that we have recorded in Scripture. And that is the disciples said, you know, we've watched you pray, you withdraw to the Father, you have this power, this strength to you, yet you endure times of difficulty. Would you please, Jesus, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so he gave them a model prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's really not the Lord's Prayer. We've said that's more like in John 17 where he prays out to the Father before he goes to the cross. But this is a disciple's prayer. It's a follower of Jesus' prayer. And many times uh, we have maybe heard this prayer, but have we unpacked it? So I want us to look at it. Uh, the, the image behind you every week has been this image of the Western Wall or sometimes called the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. And uh, this picture is actually taken by myself and uh, my family when we were there just recently, a couple months ago now, I guess. But people coming to pray, and uh, the model prayer that they may have used uh, is probably more in line with Old Testament prayers and some of those kinds of things because it's Jewish people. But for us, when we went and we prayed at that wall, that was one of the words that came to my mind was the Lord's Prayer. So I am mindful that some of us know the Lord's Prayer, some of us do not, so I'm not going to give you the cheat words right now. We're going to try it again. All right, you ready? One, two, three. Good try, man. Some of you were lost from the beginning. Some of you really got lost with that trespasses debtors thing we talked about last week, right? But uh, you're in there. And I'm uh, glad to give you that homework and keep working on it. As we said at the beginning of this series, there were people in jeopardy that could not fill in the blank when it came to hallowed be thy name. And so you and I have been given this prayer as disciples. It would be a helpful thing to have memorized. And so I'm going to have us read through it again, and I will give you the notes. You ready? Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
And we've walked through each of those components back with the first three, which are Godward, our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, sacred be your name, your kingdom come, your reign, your, your will uh, be done. Those three things are in the first part, and then it was here in the second part that it's walked through, and it gives these three petitions, give us our daily bread, forgive us our debts, our trespasses, our sins, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And today, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Why do you think the Lord put that there? Uh, he put it in the top three petitions that were to pray. Those petitions, you could sum them up this way. The petition for provision, the petition for pardon, and the petition for protection. Are those three things in your prayers? Have they been in your prayers this week? Will they be in your prayers this next week as you gather yourself before the Lord? Maybe even around a dinner table before you have your meal, wherever you're praying. Maybe as you're driving to work in that crazy traffic and you're praying out to God. Is there a prayer for provision? Provision. Is there a prayer for pardon in your life and to, and to others? Do you forgive them? And is there a prayer for protection? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And I want to make a point of clarification here. When you just quoted it, many of you would have quoted, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The NIV version has the evil one. In fact, it can go either way in the translation. Evil, evil one. Evil does come from an evil one, all right? But evil can also be something that's not directly tied to an evil one, evil in our world, if you will. What is evil? I watched one of those on-the-street videos this week of just going around and asking modern people, well, what about evil? Do you think evil exists? And it's interesting how it's difficult in our culture and society to not only identify what true evil is, but then to articulate, all right, what uh, that evil is and, and where it comes from, let alone how to deal with the evil. And some of the oppressiveness that we feel as we try to move forward in our life and our sluggishness is we feel that we are up against the evil that's in our world. Where did evil come from? Well, evil came from the very beginning, right? God created Adam and Eve. He put them in a garden and he said, do not uh, eat of what tree? The tree of knowledge of good and evil. So God put human beings in paradise, and he said, man, I just want to save you an awful lot. Don't eat of that tree whereby you have the knowledge of good and evil, and you get yourself exposed to all of it. And as we know, um, Adam and Eve, they sinned. They did not obey God. They listened to the serpent, the devil himself, who was roaming in the garden. It's like, God, God really say that? He's trying to keep you from something. So they were given free choice because free choice is critical if you want to have true love. Because to be forced to love God, what would 
that be? So God gave the freedom of will to the human beings that he made. He puts them in the garden of paradise, but he says, you know, you've got this free will. I just want you to stay clear from the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate of that tree. Sin came into the world. They became exposed to knowing what evil was. They saw evil. They participated in evil. And so goes the rest of history. Evil is anything opposed to the sovereign will of God. Evil is anything that's opposed to the sovereign will of God. And so in our world, we see evil around us quite a bit, and we see it growing on different fronts. We have been affected by evil. And it's not just the evil that's around us in the world. We start to realize that there's the challenges that come within us of evil. And then there's the reality that there is not just evil personified that's out there, but that evil actually comes from an evil one. I want to list to you the three sources of temptation. If we're going to pray, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil or the evil one, where is it coming from? And these you've heard before, they may be very common to you, but I want to remind you them uh, of them again. The three sources of temptation are these. The ways of the world that are around us, the flesh, the Scripture refers to, but it's our sinful nature, that self-centeredness or me, 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 my, you know, my world inside. And then the third is the devil and his demons. What are you up against as you're trying to move your way through life and there is resistance that's coming back to you? Well, there is temptation, but you are up against these three forces that are opposed to God's will in your life. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Will you take your scriptures and turn with me to Ephesians 2? Ephesians 2, the very familiar passage, is that it outlines these kinds of aspects. And in Ephesians 2, we find ourselves up against these three aspects. But in Ephesians 2, there is powerful hope because of this reality. And so it intertwines them both, Paul does. Read with me in Ephesians 2, whether you're an electronic device or on your, in your Bibles or just maybe listening. Here's the Apostle Paul saying this, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, the ways of the world around as we watch, as we're up against them, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, God's punishment upon that which is sin. So in those first three verses of Ephesians, you have articulated quite well, all right, these three things. The ways of the world, how the world thinks, what the world pressures you into, what the world champions is 
the right way to go, this is coming at you. It's bombarding you day in and day out. Whether it's in your workplace and you're having conversation with people, whether it's something you're watching on television, whether it's something you're observing in your community, the ways of the world are there. And the adversary works through the mindset and the ways of the world and what's being pushed against us. But then it also says that there is uh, the spirit of this kingdom, the spirit of, uh, that's at work and di- disobedience. There's the direct attack of the devil. And then the third thing it lists there is what we have here is our second thing, which is the flesh, the cravings of the sinful nature. Now, Paul's saying in Ephesians 2, you used to have to succumb to these three. You used to, but not now. You don't have to. And that's why he goes on and he articulates the incredibly powerful and encouraging words. Just listen to these if you have not heard them for a while. Maybe even if you're struggling here this morning that you're up against some opposition. Maybe there's temptation that's fighting you right at your door. He says, you used to be like this, deserving of God's wrath. But verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by his grace that you have been saved. And God, guess what he did with you? He raised you up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, both now and forever into eternity, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by work, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. I'm looking out today, not across just this room, but I'm looking across a live stream. And I want to find the individual that's struggling in this very hour with their life. Maybe it's something related to a temptation that you're fighting. Maybe it's guilt concerning something that you have done or uh, bitterness about some what someone else has done towards you. And you're stuck there. You feel that oppression against you. That person, whether in this room or online, I want to give you good news. That there is hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that which you just heard out of Ephesians is true for you today. It is by grace you have been saved, not through the works of your own. And he has made you as one who can be alive in Christ if you turn to him. Maybe you've never turned to him before. Today, you can have that scripture true of you. You used to be this way. Maybe you've turned to him before, but you're in a season right now that you're fighting a battle and the battle's pretty big. I want you to know that that same mercy and grace that flowed from the work of Jesus Christ is available for you today to break free of that which you are in and to be able to find yourself positioned back in an alive place with Christ living and dwelling within you.
the world, the flesh, and the devil. What are you up against? Who is it in this room that's fighting a significant battle right now? You see, as a pastor and a sojourner with Jesus Christ, when you're sort of thinking through and prepping for a message in the course of a week, you can get all caught up in the nuances of, oh, that's really interesting. And I, was, I mean, I was going down, I was the whole world thing, uh, I was going down the four horsemen of the apocalypse in Revelation this week and, and just trying to take in, you know, wow, these, some of the prophetic things and what's happening in our world. And, and God just sort of stopped me in my tracks, especially of some of the journey in my own life, and said, Carrie, make sure that on Sunday morning you give special attention to those who are struggling. Because this isn't some academic exercise. Here's a nice message. That's good few points. We're out of here. We're good to go to lunch. Some of you are in a place right now that if you don't get the grace of God moving and stirring in your life and the freedom coming, that you are headed towards a cliff and you are going to fall over that cliff and the temptation that's enticing you and pulling you away, whether it's from the ways of the world or your own personal flesh or the devil himself, you are headed towards a cliff. And if, if, if you don't get a hold of this grace of God and the transformation and his love for you, there are even more difficult days ahead. I want you to know this morning, your pastor and your friend, that you have a Savior and a Redeemer. You have one who has overcome the enemy. You have one who is able to bring transformation and change this morning. But you have to stop. And you have to seek him. This is a prayer Jesus gave to not those who were reading him, but those who were seeking to follow him. And he said, man, pray for provision. Pray for pardon. And pray for protection. Pray that you would not be led into temptation, but that you would be delivered from the evil one. Isn't that interesting, that prayer? I mean, it's like, why, why do I need to pray that? I think I'm, I'm holding in there. I'm doing all right. It's like, uh, uh, it's like my son Levi over here. I just saw him. I think he's behaving this morning. And, and, uh, you know, there's, there's times when I'm trying to help Levi do something because of his challenges in life, and, and he'll just look at me and go, Dad, I got it. I got it. So I'm like, um, okay, then you do it, all right? I'm not going to help you anymore. I got it. I'm good. I see Christians doing that all the time. I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I'm all right. But this prayer is not about you got it, you're good, you're all right. You're not. You need to pray that God would deliver you from evil, that he would deliver you from the evil one. And Jesus was very mindful that we're going to look at it, and you need to cry out in your prayers on a daily basis, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I need help. You see, the sin-sick soul, we are led into all kinds of evil, and we need help. It's almost like, and uh, it was J.I. Packard gave some type of analogy close to this, but it's this idea that we are trying to walk across 
Six lanes of traffic, let's, let's say you're out here at Los Alamos Road, right? You're coming in there, and you're not where the stoplight is. It's a really busy, you know, uh, time of day, people coming back from work, going to work or whatever, and you are going to walk not where the stoplight is, and it says walk now with the little figure guy, right? It's going to, you're going to try to attempt to walk across six lanes, but you're blindfolded and you got headphones on. Let's, let's say you got your ear pods in, right? And you're just looking at your phone like that. And you're just walking across there in the middle of traffic coming and going. Guess what's going to happen to you? You're going to get nailed by a car, right? That's the world that you live in. That's what you're up against, the ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. It is all kinds of a crazy traffic life. And we sometimes think, I got it. I'm good. I'm good, I've got, I got it, boom! And out of the blue, you find yourself enticed in a way and falling into some sin that you would have never thought you would have fallen into. You tried to justify, you had your reasons, maybe even had some scripture for it, but you were justifying it and you were blinded to the fact that there is an enemy, there is evil, and it's opposed to you in trying to make your way forward. And so your prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, should be a daily prayer, if not almost an hourly prayer, that you would find the strength and the power of the one who defeated the enemy and died for you on the cross for the sins of your sinful nature to give you not only victory as it relates to the penalty of sin, but victory as it relates to the power of sin in your life. We cannot be naive. The ways of the world, I could spend time enumerating. We see it all around us. The sinful nature, the flesh, what's going on inside of us, because we are fallen, going back to Adam and Eve, entices us and pulls us in a direction we do not want to go. If we're believers in Christ, we are in Christ. We have been made alive in Christ from the Ephesians passage. But even in this life, even as sanctified or discipled or holy as we think we are, there's always still one foot in Adam. And I know that to be true because all of us will die in here unless the Lord comes before. So we have one foot in Christ, but there's still another foot in Adam. And because of that, we are pulled and enticed by our sinful nature in a certain direction. And so the evil sometimes is not the evil of the ways of the world or the evil of the devil himself. It's the evil that's within our own heart that we have to pray that God would deliver us from the evil. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He was a, a Russian writer and dissident. He died a few years ago. He lived to be 89, but he was right in the middle of uh, Joseph Stalin and all that was happening in communist Russia and the development of that. And as a dissident, he was pushing back against it and calling out the government, especially with the, the gulag camps and all that was happening with that. He saw for himself, and it was during that journey that he himself ended up finding his way to Christ. But he wrote beautifully in a lot of different volumes. And one of the things that he says in one of his volumes is this. And I think it's so pungent as it relates to us understanding evil in the human heart. 
He says, if only it were so simple. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds. And remember, he's, he's writing to communist Russia with, with the communist Russia in his background of his experience. And it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them. But the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's so easy for us to run to the ways of the world or deliver us from the evil one, the one who brought evil into the garden and continues to wreak havoc in our world. And even though he was defeated at the cross, it says in 1 Peter 5.8 that Satan, the devil, is like a roaming lion. He's seeking who he may devour. So the ways of the world and, and the devil himself are all part of the evil that we're up against. We need to reckon as fallen human beings that there is evil in our own heart and not be easily deceived. Any of you have this problem I have? I have a, I have a really easy time condemning people that sin and fall in ways that I'm not prone to. But things that I am prone to, I sort of deafen my ears to that. You see, I can identify the evil in the hearts of other people, but I don't want to identify the evil that's in my own heart. And I know you may be saying this morning, Pastor Kerry, this is a, this is a real downer kind of message. It's not a downer message. But in order for there to be good news in your life about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you must understand the bad news. And the bad news, as Scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you want to read in Romans 3, it talks about uh, the, the unrighteousness. And there is an acknowledgement of our sinful state and our condition that has to rightly be taken on. If we're ever going to cry out to God, deliver me. I got it. I'm good. That's what you've been told. Everybody, everybody's nice. You're good. You know, get your own. No, there is a need for human beings you and me and whoever as a human being to acknowledge that evil can be in our own heart and that we need to pray and cry out to God to deliver us, to deliver us from evil. And when you pray, you are praying to one who is without sin, who had no evil, but you are praying to one who has been tempted in every way, just like you have and like you are. In Hebrews 4, verse 14, talks about Jesus being our great high priest. It says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, one who intercedes for us between God and us and what's going on, who has ascended to the heavens, with the right hand of God, it says, hey, I know Carrie. You know, I know uh, each person that's in this room. 
Jesus, the Son of God, he let us hold firmly to the faith. Let us, it's a, a, an exhortation, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. So in that, let us then approach God's throne of grace. Weekly? No. With confidence, so that we may receive what? Mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Lord, I don't got this. I don't have me every day. In fact, I could be blinded walking across the street and boom, get hit by something I'm not even aware of that I think I've overcome or I'm not tempted by. Lord Jesus, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And Jesus, as our high priest, would say, I know. I know. My mercy and my grace is sufficient and I can meet you in your time of need. And so what I say to you, if you're that person here today or online and you're at a place that you're in great need, cry out, cry out, cry out to Jesus, help me, lead me not into temptation. God doesn't tempt us, Scripture says. So what does it mean, lead? Sometimes it's a, the, the word temptation can be the understanding of, of testing. Lord, lead us not into, but deliver us. Free me up. Take care of me. Move me away from those vices that I can so easily fall prey to, that can so easily take hold of my life. What are you praying for today related to the area of temptation? Are you blindingly walking into it? Or are you saying, Lord, leave me not? Now, Jesus, when he says, when it says in Hebrews that he was tempted in all such ways as us, you can be guaranteed of this. That the intensity by which he was tempted by when he walked on this earth is far greater, I believe, than anything you and I have been tempted by. Isn't it interesting that in the beginning part of his journey of doing ministry as he walked on this earth? I mean, I was thinking about it this week. I sent some pictures to my family. I'm like, remember, we were just there. Jesus, literally, he walked on the earth right here. He walked, but before he started his earthly ministry walking, he was taken into the wilderness. Are you familiar with that? I want to encourage you to turn with me to the temptations of Jesus Christ as recorded in Luke. Luke chapter 4. I want to read through this quickly. A lot of times we don't get enough scripture and context to think, but this was your Lord Jesus. And whether you're following him or you're seeking to understand more about him, to maybe follow him, listen to this. This is how his life started out when he said, hey, it's time to go. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan, and he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days, 40 days, 40 days, he was tempted by the devil, head on. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. 
The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus said, what? No, Jesus answered boldly, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world, whether in a vision or whatever. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, so the devil thought, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their, ha- in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Someone reminded me this last week that Satan himself uses scripture in his temptations to twist things sometimes. Isn't that amazing? And then the last verse here, verse 13, I find astonishing. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. You think Jesus was tempted as he started off his ministry for these 40 days and he was up against this uh, oppressiveness, this temptation from the evil one. And then he was victorious in those 40 days. He you know, refudiated the scriptural stuff and pushed back. And, 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 and we're like, yay, Jesus, now you go. What did Satan do? Disappear? No. He withdrew from him in that particular season for a more opportune time. You ever think that happens to you and I? That there's direct opposition in your life, something, excuse me, something's going on, but then you, uh, you, you make your way through that, but then, oh my goodness, I don't want to like, you know, freak us all out, like, oh, now, now, when's the shoe, the next shoe going to drop kind of thing, but there's this idea that the adversary withdraws for a more opportune time, and he definitely did that in the life of Jesus. You see in these temptations of Jesus the three things that we just mentioned that we're up against. The ways of the world, the flesh, and the devil himself. This here is a picture of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives looking across. So if we were to go back, so this wall, if you were to go way far over there, which isn't all that far, then look the other direction, you would be looking this direction, right? The picture's not as clean and clear here, but I'm using this picture to encourage you that the adversary who has opposed you is nothing near like what Jesus was going through in those temptations. And he had withdrawn to the wilderness. We don't know exactly where that's at. But then through visions or whatever, Satan was working with him. He enticed him to turn stone into bread, which has to do with what? The flesh. And then he enticed him to do what? To worship him. You need to worship me. That's the devil himself. But then he had this articulation of of all all the kingdoms and what can be given to him. 
And in one of these temptations, what you had was Jesus being taken to the highest place of the temple. Now, this is an overlay because a lot of times when we see Jerusalem, we don't realize what Jesus saw. When Jesus was on the Mount of Olives looking towards Jerusalem in that day, this is what he saw. What remains is just this lower part of the wall around. There's the Dome of the Rock that the Muslims have built. But this was the true holy of holy place in the temple that was there in the day of Jesus. Think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, and this is what he looked upon, right? And Satan took him to the highest place, and he said, throw yourself down, and the angels and people take care of you. You know, show yourself mighty in this glory. These temptations were real, and they were powerful. Satan came up with his three best ones, he felt to do away with this God-man who came to save the world. The temptations of Jesus are real. They were real then. They were real throughout his life. And that same adversary and his workers are opposed to God's will being done in your life. Where has he taken you? What visions he's trying to give you? How's he trying to entice you? What subtle words is he speaking to you that's leading you astray? Oh, you need that. That's what you need in life, whether it's a relationship or maybe some monetary means, or no one will know if you do this. Maybe it's some type of dependency thing, or maybe carrying some haughty, uh, bitter spirit in your life. It's okay. You'll be all right. There, there's temptations that abound. And Jesus was up against them. But Jesus wasn't just up against them when he started his ministry. He was up against them when he came to the end of his ministry. This here is a modern picture of the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane. Yes, there are chapels and churches built in these areas today. And if you were to go today, you would see a line of tourist buses. So it's not all pretty and sacred, maybe, like it used to be, like we think of. But Jesus withdrew to the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane. The night of his greatest temptation. The night of his greatest temptation. He took his disciples with him and they were supposed to be hanging out and supporting him. But he was wrestling. He was wrestling as the, the God-man who came in the flesh. Would he submit himself to torture unto death for the sins of the human rebels that he loved? And Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he gathered before the Father and he prayed. And he cried out to his Father that he would not be led into the temptation of failing to do the Father's will for which God the Father sent him into the world. The temptations of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry are tied all the way through until the final hours before he was crucified and then by God's power raised from the grave he knew what opposition was 
the one he asked his disciples to include in their model prayer. Pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. He knew, he knew, he knew. And you have a great high priest that's been tempted in every way such as you. So when you pray to Jesus, know that he understands. And he followed through in obedience to the Father and broke the chain, the power of Satan, when he died on the cross and then he was raised from the grave so that you and I could be made alive in Christ. But there's a unique connection between the Lord's prayer and this moment when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I want you to catch this because I hadn't caught it really until this week. In Luke 22, it says this, Jesus, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives. Isn't that interesting? As usual. Because he was going to the Mount of Olives and he was in prayer all the time. His disciples saw that and that's why they asked him, Lord, teach us how to pray. But in Luke 22, we find him doing it again. The night of his greatest temptation. And so it says that his disciples followed him. His disciples followed him and on reaching the place, he said to them, he said to them simply straight on, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and he knelt down and prayed. And I'm thinking, you know, you look at this picture, it's somewhere in this vicinity. Yeah, it extended on down there where there's a lot of a graves of Jewish people today, but somewhere on this Mount of Olives, these words actually took place. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them and knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. Are you up against some tremendous pressure and temptation and you're fighting your way through? In your prayer, you need to make sure you begin. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus was praying, your will, Father. He didn't want to have to go through what he knew was before him. In fact, it was so intense, it says, an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly. This is Jesus praying. And you think you can get through the day without praying intensely? Why do I exhort you that way? Because I think that way sometimes. I got it. I'm good. And his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. That's intense praying. Is that actually a medical thing that's behind all that? And it's true. He sweat drops of blood and his, his, his duress in that moment as he prayed out. It says this, then, when he arose from prayer and went back to the disciples, he found them asleep 
exhausted from sorrow, what would you say if your right-hand companions who were supposed to be interceding and helping you were just snoring away? He didn't reprimand them. He exhorted them. But he said, why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up. Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. From the Lord's Prayer to the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was exhorting his followers to pray a prayer of petition, not to fall into temptation because he knows the battle that you and I are in. What I'd like to do this morning in closing is I want to exhort us to do just that. I want you to pray this morning that you would not fall into temptation. I don't know what you're up against. Something of the flesh, something of the ways and the mindset of the world that's trying to press you into the mold, something you think you need to have or you know, some sense of protection or gratification, and all those are legitimate kind of needs, but they can be corrupted by the ways of the world and our sinful nature. But what are you up against? Are you up against temptations that are coming from the ways of the world, temptations that are coming from your sinful nature, your brokenness in life? Or could it be that maybe you're up against the evil one himself? It's easy for us to just sort of be dismissive sometimes about the devil or Satan and have these conjured up images that are anywhere near. Satan was an archangel, Lucifer. He fell from heavens. He thought he needed to be worshipped. He told Jesus in the temptations of the wilderness, you worship me, the gall of such a being. And he's still at it today, wanting to be worshipped. And the angels that fell with him in his demonic realm wreak havoc to and fro in our world and they can wreak havoc on you if Satan can tempt Jesus then an unclean spirit can tempt me and so maybe it's not the world or the flesh maybe you're up against fighting through something that's direct direct spiritual warfare and I'm just here today to tell you wake up you don't have it you need to pray and you need to seek the Lord because this temptation can lead to a place of destruction and I just want to give a warning message today. We see too many lives that have been ruined. You've fallen in ways that have brought ruin into your life. Jesus is here for you. He knows as the high priest. Intercede with him. He wants you to find victory in this moment. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says this, no temptation, no temptation has overtaken you Accept what is common to mankind. And God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I want you to grab a hold of that temptation that you're facing, that you're battling right now. Maybe it's an action that's not healthy. Maybe an action opposed to God's will. Maybe it's a thought pattern, something that the adversary has caught you in a web of this morning and you need to find victory through it. 
need to find that way out. I want you to take hold of that temptation. And I want us to do what Jesus said in one of the other synoptic gospels. It's phrased this way, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. He told this to Peter. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He told that to his disciples and Peter, and then what happened? They all abandoned him shortly after that when they came and they seized him, and he went through the trials. Then he was crucified on the cross, and people scattered, disowned him. But then three days after that death, he rose and he broke the power of Satan and he is able to help you stand against any temptation in this day and age. You grab that temptation. You're going to have three minutes in quietness as Greg plays to pray that God would lead you out of that temptation. Will you take these moments and pray a prayer of petition? Lord Jesus. Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Our great high priest, Jesus, we center ourselves before you in these moments to cry out to you, to pray out to you that we would not fall into temptation. Give us the strength to make wise decisions, to stay clear from those enticements. Give us the power and the strength as we turn to follow you, to know that this isn't about a mere belief, but it's about following you and that your power within us can help us overcome those temptations. High priest, forgive us for any ways that we have sinned. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation and renew within us a right spirit. And our great high priest, Jesus, who was tempted in all ways such as us, we are so grateful that you go with us as we leave this room today. Into a world that has a lot of opportunity, a lot of joy of living in your presence, serving your purposes, being with family, taking on careers and responsibilities and learning and growing. 
a lot of joys. But Lord, we also know in the week before us, there's an adversary who'd want to make us fall. We also know that our sinful nature, we have to say no to, and we need to choose to live in the Spirit. And we also need to renew our minds against the ways of the world. So as we go forward, dear High Priest Jesus, who was tempted in all such ways as us, empower us this week to live victorious lives. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen? Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would take their places to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as quickly as well as your connect cards. And I want to encourage you that any place, any time, whether it's praying, coming pre-service, praying at an altar, take time to pray together in corporate setting. And I want us to um, up the ante fresh and anew as a church to pray one for another. Sometimes it's hard to be transparent and to share a particular need. But maybe the need is a health need or some other kind of need, financial need in your life. That's fine. But don't hesitate to open up to a friend about an area that you're struggling with temptation-wise. And ask that person in the moment, even in the middle of a corporate setting as we're coming and going, could we just pray over this area? That's a vulnerable thing because it shows our weakness. But Jesus spoke these words to his corporate body, his disciples. Pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let's up the bar in our praying for one another. And whether it's maybe somebody that shares with you verbally, or maybe you're just observing their life, let's intercede that the adversary would not gain victory or a foothold in someone's life, that they would be able to be set free and enjoy what it means to be fully alive in Christ. Will you do that? Take it another notch up in your prayer for people. Will you stand with me? Hands up to receive the Lord's blessing. And now may the high priest, the one who encountered all temptations, descend upon you afresh and anew as you go forward to not only resist the temptations of the evil one, but to bring hope that there's a Savior in the world to those who are in need. May you receive the Holy Spirit's anointing for your mission. Go in the name of Christ. God bless.